Okay, so we are uh, in the Old Testament during the summer. We're just about through with summer. Uh, and uh, school starts this week. Ah, Who's excited about that? Uh, those of us with parents. Uh, yeah, yeah, all the parents. That's right. We're going to be in Genesis 15 today. We're going to kind of continue looking at Abram. There is this really weird story in there about a covenant that is made. And so... It's one of those texts that I've read before, and I'm like, I don't even know what that means. And so much of this whole series is stuff I've read before and thought, I don't know what that means. I should look into it. So we're going to be in Genesis 15, look at um, this covenant that God makes with Abram. It's really kind of odd, and it makes some sense if you sort of dig into it a little bit. So we're going to do that. In March, we went to Salt Lake City uh, on a mission trip. I booked my flights through... Uh, um, travel agent, and um, you know how this works. 24 hours before you fly, you can get your boarding pass, and so I got our boarding passes for my team that we were going uh, to Salt Lake City. Uh, we got to uh, Greenville Spartanburg Airport. Uh, we had our boarding passes. We got on the plane. I think we flew to Atlanta and from Atlanta to Salt Lake City. It was seamless. We got there late, and so we go to um, the car rental place, which is off-site, kind of in the hood a little bit. And we got there at like 12.20, and the place closes at 12.30. And you never know what you're going to get. And so uh, when we got there, uh, they gave us bigger, nicer cars or uh, SUVs than we had uh, rented. It was awesome. And I'm feeling pretty good about myself as a trip planner. So we have a good week of work. Uh, it's time to go home on a Friday. So Thursday night, I tried to download our uh, return tickets back from Salt Lake City to Greenville Spartanburg, and they wouldn't load, which was odd. I thought, well, maybe there must be a glitch in the system. And so I get to the airport. We all get to the airport uh, on Friday morning. Uh, we try to uh, uh, get through. Uh, I go to the Delta counter and uh, say, okay, well, here's, here's our reservation. Uh, but I can't download my tickets. Okay, well, there was a problem because my travel agent had gone through Kenyan Air to get my Delta tickets. And Kenyan Air evidently um, sold more tickets than they had. So while I had a reservation, I didn't have a ticket, which reminds me of this. Okay, this is the conversation I had at the Delta counter. By the way, the guy was named Francisco, and he was great, and he got us other tickets. But today we're talking about a covenant, and a covenant and a contract are kind of the same, but not quite the same. 
So we enter, we enter contracts, even verbal contracts all the time. You'll agree to do something, somebody will agree to do something for you, and a verbal contract can be binding. You can say, you know, you take your car to a, um, a mechanic or, or somebody comes to your house to, you know, wash the windows or whatever it is. We enter these verbal contracts, and so we enter contracts all the time. But there's a difference, and, and it's a striking difference, actually, between a contract, which we kind of all know about, and a covenant, which we don't use that language often. So you have a cell phone, you have a, you have a contract with some company to provide for you a cellular service or a Wi-Fi company. You have a contract that somebody is providing Wi-Fi for you at your home or your office or whatever. You have signed a contract, and it's for two, three years, something like that, but it's completely different than a covenant. So let's talk about it. Well, the first thing is the duration... A contract is for a, a limited amount of time. So let's say I lease a car, and I've never leased a car, and I, I probably will never lease a car, but you can lease them, and you can lease them, I think, for a year or two or three, but, but there's a, a termination point where that contract is no longer valid. And so if I enter a three-year contract in the fourth year, you know, at the beginning of the fourth year, I have to give the car back. That's just how it works. But a covenant is forever. That's why we don't use the language very much is because a forever covenant isn't something that most people enter into. Uh, there's also the idea of the backing of the, the contract or the covenant. So you put your money into a bank and you'll see this, these initials FDIC, the federal something. Uh, what is it? Uh, Deposit Insurance Corporation. So your money is backed by the government. <laughs> and we feel safer uh, because of that, uh, <laughs> theoretically, theoretically. So you see the FDIC and you say to yourself, okay, well, that then ensures uh, it is backed by an entity bigger than just the bank. It's backed by the government. Well, in a, in a covenant, the backing is from God. He, he is like, I, I, I guarantee this. And when you enter a covenant with God, he guarantees the backing is, is forever. I read, I read about a guy who got a, had got a new pacemaker, and he was reading the fine print on you know, the pacemaker warranty, and it said a lifetime warranty, which is funny uh, if you think about it. Yeah, yeah, it is a lifetime warranty. There's also the aspect of a scope. So let's say I hire someone to do an addition on my house. And uh, this person is supposed to add uh, a 5,000 square foot uh, covered porch, screened in covered porch. And so uh, the scope of that is I have some say in what he does while he's building on my property, building this new room. But the scope is limited. I can't tell him that he has to go to church. I can't tell him what to watch on television. Unless he's not very good, and I say, hey, have you seen those home improvement shows? Uh, you can do that, I guess. But the scope is limited. He works for me while he's on the clock, but not all the time. If I see him at Walmart, I can't make him go get my groceries. Uh, it's limited, right? Well, now, the scope of um, a covenant is it's, it's all-consuming, that's why we use the language around weddings. We talk about the covenant of marriage because 
the duration, what do we say? Till what? Till death do us part, right? There, there is a, a duration and there's a backing. And so when, when I do a wedding, I will say you're making an agreement with one another before God. And so there's this kind of trinity involved. There's a husband, wife, and God. And so the backing is God. And, and then the scope. You, you say, forsaking all others, I commit only to you. This is what he says. This is what she says. Now, here are some pictures from Josiah and Sarah Margaret's wedding. They don't have any good pictures like with me in it, uh, but, but these are nice. Um, let me tell you about the wedding. It was beautiful. Sarah Margaret looked great. Then it came time for vows. And Josiah was verbose. <laughs> I timed it. It was 27 minutes of vows. That brother is committed. I mean, he is committed. It was Sarah Margaret's turn. It was so cute. She said, mine's not as long as that. Well, no. The Declaration of Independence isn't as long as that. It was sweet. Very sweet. Very lovely. Yeah, very lovely. All right, so we've been talking about Abram. Um, I don't know exactly that anybody has ever explained to me why God chose Abram to be the patriarch of his nation, like the, the Jews. I don't exactly know why. I mean, there's no indication in Scripture that there was like patriarch idol and he won, you know. I don't think he was like on The Bachelor and he won. I don't think it was anything like that. I don't exactly know why God chose Abram, but he does. And when he chooses him, he makes a promise. Now, the thing about that is God deeply desires a relationship with you. And we see it in the way he dealt with Abram. Now, look at what he said. Then the Lord told Abram, leave your country, your relatives. How many of you would like for God to say that to you? Uh, leave your country, your relatives, your father's house. And go to that land, I will show you, and I will cause you to become the father of a great nation. And, and so, I've often wondered, if Abram had said no, or if he hadn't gone, would God have chosen somebody else? Because God deeply desires a people. He wants to be in covenant relationship with you, with people. He desires it so much that he's willing, he was willing to sacrifice his son so that we could be in relationship with him. It was the ultimate sacrifice because he is that good a God. And he wants to have this relationship with us. And so God picks Abram. Hey, uh, I want to bless you. You're going to have to leave what you know, and I'm going to bless you. And so if you're going to enter, or if you've entered a relationship, a covenant relationship with God, you need to understand something. There is a cost, and there's a reward. He, he said, don't begin. Jesus said, don't begin until you count the cost. Does it cost something to follow Jesus? Yeah, it does. We have free will, but we also admit that God wants us to do certain things. He doesn't want us to do certain things. And so we commit, 
when we enter a relationship with God. I'm going to try to do the things uh, that make you happy. And I'm going to try to avoid the things that make you unhappy. See how the language of covenant makes sense? Even in marriage, you, you kind of do the same thing. So Miriam and I have been married uh, 33 years. We have kind of a, uh, we, we've developed a rhythm. We sort of have a um, division of labor. I do things that she doesn't want to do. She does things that I don't want to do. So I mow the yard. Miriam hates mowing the yard. She doesn't want to mow the yard. So I do that. Uh, Miriam cooks. I don't want to cook. I cook a little bit, but I don't do much. She likes to do that. So we sort of have come to an agreement. I'm going to do some things that she doesn't want to do. I'm going to do some things for her that she wants me to do. And, and it, it's reciprocal, right? That's how it works in a covenant relationship. Well, well God is saying, okay, I want, to, I want to enter this covenant relationship with you. I, we're going we're gonna, to uh, be a team, you and me, and God is saying, okay, there's some things that you should do that actually will make you happy, because here's what happens. When you love somebody, you like to do things for them. My, my wife loves plants. She loves plants, and so um, I try not to kill them. Uh, so uh, that's, uh, that is, uh, that's our kind of agreement. I try not to spray the weed killer on her plants. Uh, but but we, we do things that, they, that, that cause them pleasure, right? Now, God says to Abram, you, you're going to have to leave what you know and go someplace. And he doesn't even say where. He doesn't say, hey, I need you to go to California, or I need you to go to Colorado, or I need you to go to North Carolina. He said, leave your people and go, and when you get there, I'll tell you. And that is really a tough ask, because most of us don't really love change. Now, you might be kind of a unicorn, and, and that's your thing, and you like change, but the vast majority of people don't love change. A while back, I had a blue shirt. It was a great blue shirt. Long-sleeved, it was awesome, it was slimming, and I really liked it. And I would wear it, you know, all the time because it was an awesome shirt. And then it started to get a little bit frayed on the collar and around the cuff, you know, and Miriam pointed out, hey, your, your favorite blue shirt, it's getting a little frayed on the collar and on the cuff. And you know, my response was, so? Uh, it's perfect, it's the perfect shirt. And Miriam kind of points out every once in a while, hey, there's, it's fraying a little bit. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it develops a hole. <laughs> I know, suspicious, isn't it? <laughs> all of a sudden, there's a hole in my favorite blue shirt. And I had to get rid of her, the shirt, uh, that is. Uh, I mean... She left us too soon. It was only 19 years. I mean, I really didn't have it long enough to really get it broke in. We have these fear, these fears of, of change. And so God is saying, okay, if you'll stop being the Lord of your own life, if you'll let me be the Lord of your life, there will be blessing. He talks about this. There will be blessing in that. Now, it doesn't mean you'll never have a problem. But there'll be blessing in it. And here's the deal. You get what you pay for. Does it, is it costly to follow Jesus? Absolutely. I will not uh, bait and switch you on this. It's really costly to be a follower of Jesus. Is it worth it? 
Absolutely. You get what you pay for. I mean, think about it. You can stay at Motel 6 or you can stay at Marriott. Um, they're both places to stay. One's better than the other. You can buy a Timex, you can buy a Rolex. They both keep time, but they're different. You can vacation at Lake Robinson or Lake Tahoe. Uh, they're, they're both lakes, but they're not the same. You can eat Spam or anything else, and you'll get full, but one is better than the other. So it's worth the effort, but it is costly. Now, it's costly to you, but it was costly to Jesus as well. Look, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice. So whenever you think, man, it's really difficult to follow Jesus, remember what Jesus has in, in, this, uh, uh, in this marriage, if you will. I mean, he gave everything. He, he, you have to give up some things? Well, yeah. You have to do something? Yeah. Uh, well, he gave up everything. He offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates the new, and there's our word, covenant between God and people. Now, God entered a covenant with Abram. We're going to see it in just a minute. But it's, it's called the Abrahamic or the Abram, uh, Abrahamic covenant. Well, now there's a new covenant, and we see it in Jesus Christ. So the first thing you have to realize or you have to consider is, okay, well, it's going to be costly to follow Jesus, but it's worth it. It's going to be costly, but it's worth it. The second thing is this. We're blessed to be a blessing. Uh, to, to Abram, God said, I'll bless you and make you a great nation, and you will be a blessing to others. And uh, the Lord enters our life, and we serve others, and we have opportunity to help other people, and this makes God happy, and this is what we do. So I was in Salt Lake City last week, and, and you can tour Temple Square. Right now they're uh, redoing the temple itself, but you can go in the tabernacle, which is right next door. And uh, when you go to Temple Square, anytime you visit any of those places that the Mormons own, you'll, have, you'll encounter uh, little missionaries, these, uh, these young girls, uh, young, they're eight, between 18 and 20, they're on a mission. So in uh, the Mormon faith, um, when you, usually between high school and college, but sometimes after college, uh, these kids will go on a mission for two years. And around Temple Square, almost, it's almost always girls. In fact, I don't think I've ever met uh, one of the, the brothers on uh, any of these trips I've been to. And so I was in the tabernacle and we were looking at it, and it's, a, it's an amazing building that was constructed in the 1800s, and really it's kind of phenomenal what, how they built it. And uh, these couple of these uh, Mormon missionaries come up to me and they say, well, why are you here? And I said, well, um, we're here this week helping a Baptist church uh, do some construction. And so we, we talk about that a little bit. And then the girl says, one of the girls said, what's the best thing about being a Baptist? Like, well, okay, thank you. Thank you for that opportunity. <laughs> and I said, well, the best thing about being a Christian is this. The Bible says, for by grace you're saved through faith. This is not of yourself, not by works, so that no man can boast. I said, the best part about being a Christian for us is that we're saved by grace, and we don't have to work for it. And 
I said, unlike your faith, you believe Jesus got you close, but not all the way. We believe Jesus did it all. He, he got us all the way. And, and so there's this, this idea that we're blessed to be a blessing. Uh, Jesus got us all the way. And, and now because we are followers of Christ, not, not in order to become a follower of Christ, but because we follow Jesus, then we do certain things. We act a certain way. We help people. We try, you know, we, we don't judge. We, we are people who, who give. We had day camp this summer. Day camp is kind of our version of VBS at our church. And so we have little people all over the place. And, and I, I like that uh, they have snacks because I, <laughs> I, I like snacks. And uh, so we, and by we, I mean the campers have snacks. And I came out one day and, and the little ones, the little bitty ones, uh, they sit on these really short tables and they were having apple slices one day. And I came out and one of the campers was eating or whatever. And I said to her, I said, uh, how about you share uh, one of those apple slices with Pastor Joseph? And she took the one that she was eating, uh, and she gave it to me. <laughs> uh, you have to make your requests more specific uh, with little people. And I ate it. Uh, it was great. But I appreciate the heart of uh, a willing little soul to, uh, that says, okay, well, if I have it, I'm going to share it. And she did. Now, one of the toughest things about the blessing is being patient for it. Um, here God is saying I will cause you to become the father of a great nation I'll bless you and make you famous and I will make you a blessing to others and when I read that I think to myself okay well Abram is going to immediately like win the lottery and he's going to somehow <laughs> have a lot of kids and I mean it's going to happen the way God says it but God prepares us for a blessing and, and the preparing isn't always that much fun. I played sports in high school many, many years ago, and um, I didn't like practice, but I liked the game. And the coaches in the room will say, uh, they have a slogan, a coachy slogan. You practice like you play. Yeah, whatever. Uh, so it's going to come as a shock to you, but I didn't love the practices. And when the coach wasn't looking... <laughs> and we would do things uh, to distract him. Um, when he wasn't looking, I'd dog it a little bit. You know, you're supposed to be running, and I would, I'd, I'd kind of be not running. Uh, we were supposed to go all the way on the outside of the court or the field or whatever, and I would cut the corners. And when you cut corners, you aren't prepared. And when game time happened, it was obvious the people that cut the corners and so God prepares us for, look, when you're in sports and they have a drill called a suicide, well, that's not going to be fun for you, right? And sometimes God prepares us and it's difficult and we go through hard things. And so God, he, he says to Abram, I, I'm going to bless you. And look, and look at the promise he makes. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens, count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said, So shall your offspring be. And I want, let's make a note of this next verse. 
Abram believed the Lord and he was credited, uh, and he credited it to him as righteous. All right, so God says, look at the stars. And if you've ever looked at the stars, I mean, <laughs> this is like a horrible picture because it's dots, uh, you know, white dots on a, uh, these are stars as far as you know, or I just had some paint. Uh, but when you look at the stars, people used to count them. So there were people before telescopes, they would count them. One guy said there were um, 12,916. Another guy said, no, no, there are 14,960. And then a guy named Galileo invented something called a telescope, and now the world changed because they realized there were stars beyond the stars. And there were layers, and there were vast, vast layers. And now we have the Hubble telescope, and, and astronomers tell us today that the, the, the stars are innumerable. But God says to Abram, this is a metaphor. You're going to have many descendants. And it said, remember it said, Abram believed, and it was credited to him as righteous, righteousness. But then the next verse, but Abram said, Oh, sovereign Lord, how can I know? I believe, but I kind of don't believe. And sometimes we're in the middle of the struggle. We're in the middle of the pain. And at the gym, we say, and by we, I mean people that go to the gym. Uh, we say, no pain, no gain. And you could be in the middle of the pain, but you know you're going to you know, bulk up or whatever you're trying to do, lose weight. Whatever you're trying to do at the gym, no pain, no gain. I get it. But sometimes it feels like all I've got is pain. Well, you're not alone. I think Abram is us. God, I believe. But how do I know? It is a great question. I do think it's a question lots of us ask. So God enters a covenant relationship with Abram. We're going to look at it. And let's just stipulate, it is weird. It's weird. Now at the end of this, we're going to see how it relates to communion. If you didn't get a cup, we'll take a, the time in, in a few minutes. You can go get one if you didn't get one. But we're going to, I want you to... We take communion as a remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. And I hope I can tie this together for you. But the next couple of verses are God instituting this Abrahamic covenant. All right, so here we go. So the Lord said to Abram, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram. Heifer's a cow, a goat, and a ram. Each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And when you see uh, animal uh, things like this, um, you know there's going to be a sacrifice. It's kind of how it works. And so you know some animals are going to be uh, uh, killed in the process of this covenant. That's just kind of how it works. So now it gets odd. All right. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut, not cut in half. So you have a heifer, and the way I see it in my mind, he splits them down the middle and separates them. The heifer, the goat, the ram. Okay? Now, it might have taken him a while to gather these things. While heifers and goats aren't that uncommon, rams are kind of uncommon. And so, now, visually, I want you to get this, and I know it's a little gross and morose, and so just bear with me. It does make sense. I'm going to try to explain it to you in just a second. But he splits these animals long ways, 
and separates them. Now, I, you know, I've never dressed a, a deer or anything like that. But I do, I'm pretty sure that when you cut an animal in two, there's going to be blood. Just kind of how it works. And from what I understand, the way this worked is they would do it where there's a little bit of a ditch. And so they would put this half on this side and this half of the, and the blood would run into the ditch. And so this is sort of this, this bloody mess that's, that's in front of them. Now, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Clear as a bell. I mean, how can this be confusing at all? But there's tremendous symbolism here if you'll look for it. So let's see if we can figure it out. So what does it mean? Blood and animal halves, what, what is that all about? Well, when they made these covenants, they were saying, this is serious business. And what would happen is these two parties would, would split these animals. Usually it was just one to do it three times, very interesting. And what would happen is both parties would walk down the trench of blood and they were basically saying, if I don't keep my end of the bargain, may what happened to these animals happen to me. I'm thinking of using it in the next, uh, this imagery in the next wedding I do. <laughs> do you stand in the ditch of blood between the two uh, heifer, uh, you know, calves of love? Uh, you know, uh, uh, I am very certain uh, most brides and grooms would be very appreciative of that language. But we say stuff like, uh, bless your heart, hope to die, then what? What does it say? Stick a needle in your eye. I mean, we, we say, if I don't live up to my end of the bargain, may something bad happen to me. We do it too. We say, in the wedding service, till death do us part. And people who were engaged in this kind of covenant making, they called it the walk of death. And some people who have been married uh, say the same thing about weddings. Uh, so uh, it was the walk of death. And they would walk through these animal halves and they were saying, uh, may what happened to these animals happen to me if I don't live up to my end of the bargain. Okay, makes sense. Now, this fire pot and torch thing, really interesting. All right, so... In the Old Testament, a lot of times you see God depicted as fire and smoke. This is the first time, but not the only time. So if you'll remember, um, Moses leads uh, the Israelites out of Egypt, and the Bible says that they were led by a pillar of uh, fire at night and a pillar of cloud or a pillar of smoke by day. So you see that? And when Moses goes up on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments, the Bible says, well, it says this, Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like, like smoke from a furnace. Now, to ascend to the top of a mountain that's on fire, you're either reckless or brave. Because... <laughs> The top of a mountain that's on fire is probably not what you want to get yourself into. Except 
Maybe there's a third option. Maybe it's not that he's reckless or brave. Perhaps it's just familiar. Because Moses knows God this way. Abram knew God this way. And so this this fire pot, lots and lots of scholars believe this was what the metallurgists used to refine metal. And you probably already know this, but if you're going to refine gold or silver or whatever, it comes in ore, and you put the ore in a pot, and you heat the pot until the metal liquefies, and the impurities come to the top. And so the metallurgist, he will take the impurities off the top. And perhaps the picture here is there is some refining to do in our lives. He wants to bless us, absolutely, but there's some refining. Are any of you... (laughs) Aware that you might need some refining? Really, this was for uh, spouses uh, to help. Uh, He's talking about you. Uh, I I think we all kind of know it. There's some rough edges on some of us. And and in the New Testament, these trials are only a test to test your faith, to show that it is strong and pure. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. And your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. So this fire pot image is one of, hey, there's, there's some purifying that needs to be done. And then the torch, it just makes sense. Jesus is often called the light of the world. When Jesus was born, it said uh, that the angels appeared in great light. Glory to God in the highest. Remember that? The angels appeared to the shepherds. Jesus said things like, I am the light of the world. He said things like, you are the light of the world. We're to be, he he said, a a city on a hill can't be hidden because it's bright. It's to be light. And it goes back to, I'm blessed to be a blessing. God blesses us in order that we might be a blessing. And then there's one last thing. Crazy interesting to me. Only God walks through the animal halves of love. (laughs) He's the only one. In normal covenant agreements, both parties would walk through, but not this time. Only God went through. Only the, the fire pot and the torch go through. It's an indication that He is all in, whether we're all in or not. I appreciate the fact that God understands how frail we are. I made a commitment to Jesus when I was seven years old. Well, seven-year-old me and today me are vastly different. Did I intend to do everything God wanted me to do when I was seven years old? Yes. Have I done everything God wanted me to do since I was seven years old? No. And I believe my testimony is probably your testimony, if you've ever made a commitment to Christ, that you go in with good intentions but you don't always live up to expectations. It's okay. He he keeps his end of the bargain. And whether we do or not, he keeps his end of the bargain. And in Hebrews it says, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. There's nobody better, nobody greater. He swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what he was promised. 
You see, the Lord deeply, deeply desires a relationship with you. He, he wants it so badly. In Scripture, there are lots of description words for God. He's called our Father. He's referred to as a mother. He's called a, a husband, a teacher, an advocate, a good shepherd. He's called a comforter, an adoptive parent, a king of kings. Whatever you need God to be in your life, He can be. And so, He has, he has made an offer to enter covenant relationship with you. He's, he's made an offer that He knows going in you can't keep. And he still makes the offer. Only God would make an offer like that. That's why he's the only one that walks through. So, in just a second, we're going to take communion. Uh, we have these little cups in the back. Did everybody get one? If you didn't get one, go right now. Just go ahead and get one. I didn't do a great job of instructing, so thank you all. So many of you got them. Thank you. That's great. You have to be incredibly uh, nimble to get these apart, but let's see if we can make a go of it, okay? So peel off the top cellophane part, and it exposes this little piece of bread that looks something like styrofoam. Okay, so over in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about um, communion. By the way, one time I was having a candlelight Lord's Supper. We really, I literally had a candle, and I'm trying to read this, and I tipped the candle to read, and all the wax went in the Bible, so uh, we're not going to have to do that today, I'm very happy to say. But Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, was having supper with His closest friends. And He says to them, all right, watch me. This is my body, which is broken for you, just like the Abrahamic covenant. This is my body, which is broken for you. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. Let's do it. And the Bible tells us in the same way he took the cup. So go ahead and get your little cup ready. Now I'm going to show you this verse because it's super important. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is the new what? Covenant. This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. What he's saying is, To enter a covenant, something is broken, something bleeds. Just like the Abrahamic covenant, Jesus is saying, I stand in this ditch with blood at my ankles, 
on my feet. And everyone in the room, all those Jewish men would have understood this language. Oh, his body is broken. This blood is a new covenant. We're entering a covenant. And when Jesus says, this is the new covenant in my blood, what he's saying is, I'm walking through it. And he, I think, would say, I know you won't follow perfectly. It's not within us to follow perfectly. But even if you don't, Jesus is saying, I want to be in relationship with you knowing you won't keep our commitment perfectly. He will. That's why he says it's a new covenant in my blood. So as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. That's what Jesus said. Let's do it now. Father, thank you for this picture that you've given us today. A picture of sacrifice and commitment and mercy and favor and blessing. A picture of you keeping your word even when we stumble, though we are frail, you still enter covenant with us. You are amazing and awesome, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.